upheaval looks at national crises in in six countries, um, the countries that I know the best and in which I speak or spoke the languages, with one except I don't speak Japanese, but but I did speak rudimentary Finnish and I speak German reasonably fluently um, and Indonesian, so, so I, I speak Indonesian enough to to deal with with Indonesia. Linnaean. The Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. 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 The Linnaean Society of London. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners and perhaps just tell them how you actually came to write this book that we're going to be talking about today? I'm Jared Diamond, Professor of Geography at the University of California in Los Angeles, originally from Boston in the United States, but with a long background in Europe. I lived for four years and then another year in the UK. I seriously considered moving to the UK. My wife is Polish, so that's my background. As for how I came to write the book, um, in the UK at Cambridge in the late 50s and early 60s, I trained in physiology and I was for decades the world's expert on the gallbladder, an organ that's a useful model for the kidney and intestine. But then when, my, when our twin sons were born um, in 1987, um, I realized that the future of the world did not depend upon the gallbladder, but it depended upon human societies and the environment. And so I began writing books for the public, of which the first was The Third Chimpanzee. And most recent is a book called Upheaval about national crises, political crises, viewed in the life of personal crises because my wife Marie is a clinical psychologist with a specialty in helping people deal with the personal crises that all of us go through. And something that um, comes to mind for our listeners who might be coming to this topic for the first time is perhaps it might be useful uh, for them to actually understand what is a crisis and then what's, what is the definition of a national crisis? A flip definition of a crisis would be that if you need to ask for a definition, you know that you're in, that you're in a crisis without a definition. A more technical definition is a crisis, either personal or national, is a situation in which one is forced to recognize that one's previous methods of dealing with problems are no longer working. And that's true both personally in a marriage, if your marriage breaks down, and it's true for a nation to recognize that a nation's previous operation, mode of operation, is no longer That's a national crisis. Um, Britain, um, within the last half dozen years, you've been wrestling with this question whether your, your previous mode of being part of Europe but not fully part of Europe or not part of Europe at all, is that working or do you need to find some new solution? That's an example of a national crisis, recognizing that the basic ways you operated before are no longer working and you've got to find some new way. I think what's really important for our listeners is to understand the the factors that are going to national crises. And I wonder if you could give us a summary as to what are those factors? 
There are about, I recognize about a dozen factors. One could of course come up with a list of 97, but it's useful to condense it down to a dozen. Um, and there are also factors that all of us recognize um, either as such or related factors play into dealing with personal crises such as marital crises and health crises and deaths of relatives. So the factors include, and I'll give examples both from my country and from the UK, of factors that are playing in our favor or in our disfavor. The first step to dealing with a crisis whether it's personal or national, acknowledging that you're in the crisis. If you den deny that you're in a crisis, you're going to make no progress towards solving it. And unfortunately, the United, my country today, the United States, there's substantial denial of the problems facing the United States. A second step, of course, is accepting responsibility for dealing with the crisis, whether it's personal or national. And again, my country is a negative example. Um, too many Americans say that the problems of the United States stem from Canada and Mexico and China, but the problems of the United States stem from the United States. There's no way that Mexico or China can do us in. We're the ones causing our problems. That's a denial of responsibility. Third factor is selective change. When one is in a crisis, you don't throw away everything about your country. You retain what works and you change what doesn't work. The UK, again, is a prime example. Um, after World War II, um, you were no longer the stewards of the largest empire in world history, but the UK has still remained a leader in world science and an economic leader and a military leader and an educational leader. Another factor is getting help from allies and friends and using allies and friends and models and here it seems to me as an outsider uh, that the UK in the last half dozen years with Brexit has burned some bridges there in cutting off help that could have been obtained from being part of Europe. Um, still, uh, uh, still another um, area is ego strength or national identity. Um, having the confidence that comes with a shared national identity. And both my country and your country are having issues with national identity um, at the moment. Who are we? What is the United States now? What is the UK now? Another issue is honest self-appraisal. Sadly deficient in the United States today. I leave it to you to judge about your country. Another area, and this is interesting, is experience of previous crises. Remember, I was born in 1937. I grew up during World War II. I first visited the UK in 1950. Um, I lived in the UK 58 to 62. And at that time, the Battle of Britain was in vivid memory. And as I hitchhiked around the UK in the 50s, the people who gave me rides were often veterans of World War I. There are no veterans of World War I now. There are few veterans of World War II. There have passed three generations since the Battle of Britain. In the 1950s, the British people felt vividly, we dealt alone with Hitler. Having done that, we can do anything. But three generations have passed since that confidence that comes from dealing with previous crises. Patience is required. 
when a crisis comes, usually you don't solve it the first time. You have to go through various solutions. Flexibility is required. You have to change some things that held dear. And there's 10 out of a dozen factors. And starting with Japan, could you give our listeners a brief summary of what, what, what crises they, they had previously gone through? and some of the key events that led to the modernization of Japan. What are the factors, um, some of the factors that you identified? Japan is a wonderful example, both of an externally triggered crisis in the 1853 to 1872, and today an internally triggered crisis. Uh, Japan in the 1850s faced an external crisis because for two centuries, Japan had been isolated from the outside world by policy. Uh, Japanese were not permitted to go overseas, and people overseas were not permitted to come to Japan except for the Dutch, um, Dutch traders coming to an island in Nagasaki Harbor. And the external trigger um, was that um, European countries, Britain and France, began prowling the coasts of China, fought a war, won a war against China. And then in 1853, a U.S. fleet of metal ships, warships, such as Japan did not have, steamships, sailed into Tokyo Harbor, demanding a treaty um, whereby Japan would look out for shipwrecked American sailors instead of ignoring them or, or killing them. Japan recognized that it was too weak to fight off the West, so there was an externally triggered crisis, and within 50 years, it's the outstanding example of selective change in modern times. Japan changed some basic things about Japan, including military strength, form of government, retained some other things, the emperor, the writing system, and came out of this experience selectively changed, but strong enough to fight off the West. So Japan, in the what's called the Meiji era, the Meiji Restoration, is the outstanding example in the modern world of a country that made selective change and ended up stronger, having solved its problems. And would you be able to highlight some key factors in this modernization that you identified? Sure. Um, two key factors. <clears throat> One, the essence of Japan's success was selective change. Japan, on the one hand, made changes. On the other hand, it didn't throw away everything about itself. So Japan retained its emperor. There was some debate about that, but Japan still has its emperor. Japan still retained its kanji writing system the most complicated writing system in the world. There was debate about throwing away kanji, but Japan retained kanji. On the other hand, Japan changed its form of government. It adopted a parliamentary government. It adopted a constitution. It adopted Western-style court system. Um, it rebuilt its fleet on the model of the British fleet, the strongest fleet in the world. It redesigned its army on the model of the Prussian and then the German army, the strongest army in the world. So Meiji Tan illustrates on the one hand selective change, but on the other hand it also illustrates doing it by means of help and models. Japan got help in changing from Britain, France, Germany, and the United States. If we go on to uh, another example, being Finland, 
I wonder if you could, it's a bit closer to home, uh, especially for us, and uh, if we could maybe just talk about what happened in Finland during um, its crisis and just mentioning some key factors that you identified uh, in this crisis. Finland, closer to home for you than Japan. Um, Finland um, became independent at the end of World War One. The Finnish people speak the Finnish language. Nobody else in the world speaks the Finnish language. A very distinctive language, a very distinctive um, um, people. Um, Finland is the European country with the longest border with what was then the Soviet Union, now Russia. On November 30, 1939, Finland, with a population of 3 million, was attacked by Stalin's armies, the Soviet Union. Russia then with a population of, what, 150 million. Enormous mismatch. And nevertheless, the Finns fought back fiercely. They fought back so fiercely that the Soviet Union didn't try to conquer Finland, but halted the war. Finland preserved its independence. What does Finland illustrate? It illustrates the importance of acknowledgement. Until November 30, 1939, the Finns knew that Russia was on their border, but they, they ignored Russia. They hoped that the problem of Russia would just go away. After, that, after the Winter War, after World War II, the Finns recognized we will always have that border with Russia. We have to deal constantly with Russia. And so from World War II onwards, the Finns had a policy, have, have a policy of constantly talking with the Russians at every level, from the prime minister and president down to low-level government officials, so that the Russians will feel confident Finland is not going to spring any surprises on us. Acknowledgement, then, is one factor. And the, the other factor is national identity. How on earth does a tiny country of three million find the courage and the determination to fight off a country of 150 million, even when 100,000 of their citizens are getting killed and when they're suffering the largest child evacuation in world history? Finns have a strong national identity. They have that national identity because nobody else speaks the Finnish language. Finland not only has a distinctive language, it has a distinctive people. And that national identity meant that whereas the Russians expected, hoped that the Finnish Communist Party would ally with Stalinist Russia. No, even Communist Finns, all Finns work together um, because their national identity was so strong and it still is so strong today. So there's an example of acknowledgement recognizing a failure to acknowledge before acknowledging today and a strong national identity. So let's go back to Japan and let's just talk about uh, what what's the current crisis that Japan's in. And uh, again, if you could do a brief summary there and just and just talk about some of the factors uh, from from the ones that you've you've laid out. Japan is a it's a country. While I don't speak the Japanese language, um, my wife and I have Japanese relatives by marriage. I've visited Japan frequently. We spend lots of time talking with our Japanese relatives about differences and similarities between Japan and the United States. So it's a country that I know moderately well. Um, Japan has problems today, as do other countries. Um, a problem that Japan acknowledges um, is the declining birth rate, not compensated by immigration, as in the United States, Europe, and the UK. Um, 
uh, Japanese women increasingly do not want to marry Japanese men and have babies. Japan is an aging society. Japanese are in very good health so that there are lots of old Japanese. But in Japan, Japanese retire at age 62 or 65, and then they proceed to live for another 25 years. So a problem, perhaps the first problem that Japanese people acknowledge is the problem of an aging society with not enough babies and too many old people. That's an example then of an acknowledged problem in Japan today. This way of thinking about crises and um, applying these factors that you've identified, what does this say for a global crisis um, across nations in regards to climate? Someone like you has read my recent book, Upheaval. The book mostly um, deals with national crises of various <clears throat> various countries, Japan, Finland, the US, etc. But the last chapter, of course, is global crises because the world faces these crises. Um, you meant, again, you mentioned one of them, climate change, but cli climate change is one of what I would say are four major global crises, any one of which can do us in. Even if we solved climate change, we could still be done in by the, the nuclear peril, the risk of nuclear war, something of which we're very conscious today with the situation with Russia. There is also the, the problem of depletion of natural resources, that the world is operating on a non-sustainable economy, exploiting essential natural resources, particularly forests, fisheries, topsoil, and freshwater, more rapidly than those resources are replenishing themselves. And we're going to run out of natural resources roughly within the next several decades. We have to get onto a sustainable economy. And if we don't, by the year 2050, we're finished. <clears throat> and then the, the last of these major crises that I see is inequality around the world. There are rich countries like the UK, Western Europe, the United States, and Japan. And there are poor countries like most countries in, in Africa, number of countries in, in Asia. There are also some poor countries in Eastern Europe. Well, as of 60 years ago, it was sustainable, it was tolerable for rich countries not to care about the poor countries because the poor countries couldn't do anything to them. Nowadays, with globalization, with jet planes and with fast steamships, um, poor countries have ways of, of letting out their anger and frustration at rich countries. In the United States, we had the World Trade Tower attack in 2001. Um, and in general, immigration is another way. There are millions of people around the world, and potentially billions of people around the world, who know very well uh, that they would be better off in the UK, the United States, and Europe than where they are now, and who don't want to wait several generations to see whether their country will be able to achieve a higher living standard. They want the higher living standard now. Um, but Europe cannot accommodate billions of refugees, nor can the United States. The only viable solution is to achieve a more equal standard of living around the world. So those are what I see as the four biggest global crises facing the world today. Linnaean Society. The Linnaean, the Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. 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 London.